Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and one of my guests today is Kimberly Williams. She is the author of Dear White Woman, Please Come Home. The book is described as a manifesto for white women who do not know how to make friends with women of color because they are terrified of saying or doing something wrong. Well, this book is for women who are ready to hear the truth, no matter how uncomfortable, and to jump into the fire with their sisters of color right now. Now, Dear White Woman is a series of 40 letters to a fictional missing white sister. Kimberly Williams explores with vulnerability, sorrow, rage, and humor how white women, often despite best intentions, signal to her and to other women of color to proceed with caution when in their presence. Based on real events, the letter serves as a testimony to the microaggressions that undermine and make invisible black and brown women and relationships difficult or simply impossible. First, let me tell you a little bit about Kimberly. Kimberly is an educator, a DEI administrator, consultant, workshop leader, speaker, and certified life and health coach. Our other guest today is author and racial justice educator, Debbie Irving. Debbie is the author of the book, Waking Up White. You may or may not remember that Debbie was my guest on Perspectives in 2020. As this racial reckoning began, as we talk, you're going to find out why Debbie is also with us today. Kimberly, Debbie, welcome to Perspectives. Thank you both for being with us. Kimberly, let me dive right in with you. What on earth happened that made you write this book? Well, um, Condes, that's a great question. I was at, I was actually um, attending a workshop where Debbie and Faith English were um, leading an exercise and it was designed for black women and white women to come together and to talk and to heal and to connect. And the last activity is the one that led to this book. The last activity of the day um, was where white women and black women had the opportunity pre-COVID of course, to sit knee to knee facing one another. Um, and the black woman had the opportunity to say, here's a truth that I didn't share with you and here's why. And oftentimes the, the and you gotta imagine that this workshop was, there were way more white women in attendance than there were black women. And, um, and so I sat in so that each white woman had the opportunity to do this. And, and each time the woman of color would say, I didn't tell you because I didn't think you cared. And, and the white woman, uh, when she had a chance to respond would say, well, I, how could I care if I didn't know? And then woman after woman after woman said, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And I felt my temperature rising as each white woman said, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And so I left that workshop very angry. I rode home fuming. And I uh, was speaking to my partner, Denise, saying, listen, th they're lying. 
they do know. How can you not know if we're on the news every day, right? These stories are on the news every day. They're in the newspaper, they're in magazines, they're on, you know, journals and articles online. You definitely know. And then, and then after I had time for my temperature to come down, um, I said, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we as black women or people of color in general have done such a great job of teaching each generation not to tell white people the truth for fear of retaliation or losing our um, our stability in society, whether that's a job that's being threatened, whether they're whether that's housing, whether that's um, allies, uh, you know, whether that's a connection, and we haven't told them the truth. We've we've done really well with um, uh, lying, lying or or pretending that things don't hurt us, things don't bother us, things don't get to us. Right, we're super strong, and so I said, you know what, no more. I'm, and no white woman is ever again going to be able to say, I didn't know, because I'm going to write them a book full of letters um, where I tell them the truth. And Candace, I think I was joking when I said that. <laughs> I think I was joking when, the, when I first said that um, because I was just so angry. But um, it actually turned into this beautiful project that's now out in the world and in the hands of all of, I would say all of my sisters, but men are reading the book too. So, <laughs> so here we are four years later. And Debbie Irving, when you hear Kimberly say this and how she responded and reacted at the workshop, what goes through your mind? Well, of course, I was there, so I remember the moment perfectly. And the kind of truths that the Black women in that session were revealing uh, weren't old news to me. And I'd been doing this work for you know eight years at that point. So um, these were things like, uh, I remember there was a Black woman who was a physician um, at Children's Hospital in Boston, who said, you know, how can you not notice that all the studies are based on white children? Mm -hmm. And things like, mm -hmm. I had never thought of that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and how could you not know that when I go to a meeting and I don't, I can't get a word in edgewise, how can you not know that bothers me? And so there were all of these revelations. Um, it, was a, it was a stunning moment. It was a stunning moment because it was one of those pin drop moments where white women were uh, gobstopped. Is that the right word? Like just speechless, hearing all these truths that had never occurred to them. And the women of color, specifically black women in that group, were equally silenced by with this dis disbelief of like, how could you not know? It was a very powerful moment. I did not know uh, that Kimberly had gone home angry. Uh, typical white fashion. I was like, well, that was a great workshop. Uh, so, <laughs> so it was really powerful to connect afterwards, uh, which we did, and, and find out her perspective, talk about perspectives. Debbie, why is it? Is it privilege that the women don't know, never thought about it? It's not their experience? Well, my, my understanding of not being white in the United States uh, is that you have to know white people well to survive. You have to navigate white people and white spaces all day, every day to get an education, to get a job, to move safely through the world. Uh, whereas in my experience as a white person is I never had to pay attention to anybody. Um, the world was made safe for me. I was told the playing field was level. So I moved around very freely. I, for instance, I just don't know how to read the room the way most of my black and brown friends know how to read the room. Um, and yes, there's also the possibility of, I think every white person in this country, and I think this is still true, can go cradle to grave without having a single friend of color. 
without watching a show uh, or reading a book or having a curriculum where black and brown perspectives are centered. So the, I call it my white bubble that I grew up in, uh, produced in me, I can now say staggering ignorance and also an arrogance, like an arrogance that I had all the information I needed, but there wasn't more to know. Kimberly, why are these friendships in your opinion and in your experience between white women and women of color, A, hard to establish, uh, more difficult to establish than it is for white women to be friends with white women, black women to be friends with black women. I mean, we see it when we scroll our social media feeds. Right, right. And it really is because we all come from different cultures. I, one thing that drives me up the wall and down the other side is that we are grouped together as Americans. Like this is the melting pot, right? So we all just, all of us love apple pie and, and baseball and, um, and skiing, right? Like we, this is what we do. But um, we just have, we come from different worlds. Even though we're from the same country, we, we come from different worlds. And oftentimes like Debbie was just speaking about, there's this blanket cultural assumption that's put over all of us that we all think the same way. And, and whatever the, the majority group is or the group in power is this, the norm or the standard. And, and we as people of color, oftentimes behind closed doors are practicing, practicing a very different way of life from everything from the way we speak to what we eat to the way we grieve. Like through this pandemic, we have seen the difference in culture here, right? The way we grieve, the way we, um, and the way we move about life. And so it's hard to be uh, in the presence of someone else in an intimate setting, like a friendship. And, and Condes, when I say friendship, I, Debbie and I talk about what we mean when we say friend. I don't use the word friend very loosely. So, um, so when I say friend, I mean that I can tell you like, hey, something stressed me out to the point where I, I ended up on the throne for a couple hours, right? Like that's, that's what I call friend, not someone that I'm like passing in the hall and all we share is a hello, how's your day? Like that's a that's an acquaintance to me. So when I so we have to be able to let down the walls of trust and trust that we can move into tough spaces and friendship, and that when we move into those tough spaces, that we're gonna make it through to the other side where we remain in relationship with one another. We can share intimate truths with one another across difference, and we are still gonna be friends on the other side of this 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 bump or this conflict. But if we never discuss the cultural differences that we have, and the only place to do that is in relationship. We never even really arrived to the conflict and have the opportunity to move through it together. I see now that you and Debbie are friends and you have used the word friend with intention. Prior to that, have you had close friendships with white women and why did they work? Yes, um, but I will tell you, Condice, um, because people say, Kim, it's hard for me to believe that you, and I'm gonna, when I say people, I mean people of color people of color will say to me, I find it difficult to believe that you trust any white person. And, and it's right. And it's because of the historical um, uh, narrative behind the, the distrust between people of color and white folks, because white folks, uh, like this guy said on a reality show, they're, they're at point A seeking to get to point B and they're going to, they're going to run over anybody in the path to get to point B. It doesn't matter if they see you as a friend or not. And so I think being in relationship with white women or white people in general before this um, before this workshop and, and to still today, still today is about people who are able to look at their whiteness and call it and call it and say, wow, well, that was my whiteness showing up. Sorry, Kim, I didn't mean that. Wow, I, I can't believe I just did that. Or 
being in a situation where people witness some something happen to me or something said to me and they're able to say, excuse me. And, you know, were they able to jump in as an, as an ally or an upstander or an accomplice or a co-conspirator, whatever you want to call it. But it's, that's why I'm able to have friends. And I use that word intentionally, friends who are white. Um, those who cannot see their own whiteness, we are acquaintances. We, even if they, even if they tell you Condis, oh yeah, Kim's one of my greatest friends. No Condis, they aren't. They're an, they're an acquaintance. <laughs> After the seminar and in the collaboration for this book, did you and Debbie become friends? We were friends before that. Debbie, you tell me if you disagree. We were friends before that. But I think this process, in this process, we've spent a lot of time together, Condice. Um, at times, more we've spent more time with each other than we have with our partners. Um, so I, I um, and so I think that this process has just deepened a friendship that was already there. I definitely already felt like I could say whatever I felt to Debbie but it's definitely deepened through, uh, through, this, through this process. And Debbie, I think you told me the last time that we talked and I see you wanna add something else that what also is important for white allies is for the white ally to stand up for women of color even when we are not in the room or a part of the conversation, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I totally agree with Kimberly's uh, characterization of our, our relationship. Yes, there's this, there's a term for it. It's called, um, you know, white solidarity. And it's when white people are with white people. And even though I might have all of these values and, and think of myself as an anti-racist, when I get into an all white space and somebody says something racist, I lose the courage to, to speak up. I'm so afraid that I'm gonna rock that boat because there's so much training in all white spaces that talking about race is rude, it's divisive, it, and the room will go silent, it's a great way to wreck a party. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really important piece of uh, this puzzle of trying to figure out how to find one another across all these differences. And they're not just differences, there's power involved and privilege involved. So um, absolutely, that's an important thing to be able to do and to be able to speak up uh, one of, you know, a very simple example is when I am in a meeting and there are men, there are women, multiple races in the room, perhaps. Um, and I notice that Kimberly wants to say something. And every time she's about to say something, someone else says something. If I don't say, hold, hold up. I, I've noticed a couple of times Kimberly was trying to talk. Can we just all pause and hear what's on her mind? That's the other thing I can do as a white woman. And that's just, you know, there are hundreds of ways that we can step in and, and, and disrupt old patterns that further invisibilize and harm my sisters uh, in, this, in this particular instance, my sisters of color. Kimberly, you've already said that guys are reading the book. Black women are reading the book. We want white, you want white women to read the book. What is it that you're hoping readers are going to take away from it? Mm, um. Well, and I think we kind of, I think that answer is broken down for based on who you are. I hope that white women, um, I hope that white women read the book and, and feel the heart, the heart centered approach to the book. Um, it is an invitation into relationship. It is a disclaimer saying that I know this is not going to be easy. I know it's bumpy to engage across difference. I still want us to get the job done. I, I want you to come home. I want us to be in relationship with one another. I want us to be real friends. I hope that women of color read the book. And, um, and again, we are not a monolithic group, but I hope that women of color raised in traditional communities of color or um, families of color are uh, 
hear their own voices and their own stories uh, in the book and feel feel validated, feel seen, feel heard. I really hope for that. I hope that men and other genders and uh, other races that we haven't covered that are reading this book say, wow, I didn't know. And how can I be a part of uh, moving this work forward? How can I help the white woman that's my neighbor? How can I help my wife, right? How can I help my children? How can I, how can I help be a part of bridging the gap between, um, between the racial divide and cultural divide? What do we say to the person who reads this book who perhaps is not a person of color, who is hesitant because he or she does not want to feel attacked. He or she does not want to feel or be reminded of a past that they were not involved in. I will say this, if you are alive and breathing, you have probably at some point in the last 14 days, and I'm giving you grace when I say 14 days, I really wanna say 24 to 48 hours. In the last 14 days, you have likely said or done something that has landed poorly on another race, another culture, another gender, another language of people. Like, I mean, it, it is. If you are alive, you have bias, and you and you operate from that lens. And you have likely done or said something in the last two weeks that has landed poorly on another group of people. And and this book is an invitation for you not to attack you, but an invitation for you to grow deeper in relationship because I'm saying, I wanna be able to trust that I can tell you that you have harmed me. And that after I tell you that you're just gonna do three, three small things. One, uh, own it, right? Two, apologize and commit to doing better. Three, don't circle back to the instance unless I ask you to. I wanna know that you can do that and we can move forward in relationship with one another. That's what I want to know. And that's what, and, and all of us can do that. If I accidentally condes trip you down the stairs, right, while I'm carrying a basket of laundry, I don't say, oh my goodness, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I hope you understand what my intentions are. I'm simply rushing to apologize to you and to help, to help heal you. That is, that's, that's what's happening. And when we offend or microaggress someone, that's, that's the approach we need to take. Own it, apologize, and then don't circle back or move on. Kimberly, how do we as a community of women of color help white women in particular understand that, as you said, we're not all alike, we're not a monolith. I'm at a dinner party and somebody described seeing a woman of color in a designer handbag store. And the white woman makes the assumption that the woman in the designer handbag store is buying a handbag with money from the government. <laughs> Those assumptions still reign in 2022. Speak to that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, wow. You you just struck a chord in me because um, I, uh, when I go shopping and I love to shop, Condes, I love to shop. Uh, when I go shopping, um, I and I'm in a, a higher end store. Um, generally I'm ignored when I come in, right? And I know it's the assumption, no matter what I'm wearing, no matter how beautiful and stunning I look, um, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm assumed not to be able to afford what's in the store. So I'm not worth the person's energy or time, right? And so I think that we have to do something, something, one of my favorite workshops to do is called taking your own inventory. And it's an opportunity to sit and just be honest 
about the messaging that we have received, whether it's um, within our family, whether it's within our community, whether it's through media. And, and I tell people our messaging and our socialization is everything that we saw growing up. And, and it's the opposite of everything that we saw, right? People might say, I never saw anything that told me that black people were poor, right? And, and But if every time you walked into a high-end store, all you saw were white people, right? Your brain makes the default assumption that brown people can't afford these things. And if you fast forward to today, what that looks like is you working in that establishment or you shopping in that establishment and seeing me come into that establishment or you, Condis, and, and, and assuming you get this like not in your stomach. Automatically, you're like, what is that person doing here? They're either here to steal, right? <laughs> or, or they're just window shopping. They're not actually, and there's a story, there's a story in the book um, where I share an experience um, being treated like that in a higher end store. And so it, it, if we don't interrogate the messaging that we have received growing up, we are likely to commit that again and again and again and again. And it's we've got to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to take our own inventories and uh, interrogate the messaging that we were. Why is it so important, especially today, that we have and establish real friendships across racial lines? I think it makes us basic, better grown-up human beings. I mean, the very skills you need to own something, apologize, and then have you know, know that you don't go back again and again to revisit something that was harmful. Um, that applies to all of our relationships. Sometimes I feel like the kind of interpersonal skills, the kind of uh, self-awareness, the kind of uh, emotional resilience we need to be really good at relationships across difference are the exact same skills we need to be good at relationships, period. So, you know, if you, if you want to, I'm not thinking of a good metaphor, but, but it's a great way to just exercise your humanity and to grow your humanity. And you can hear the educator in Kimberly. Uh, she put these questions at the end of all, each of the 40 chapters has a set of questions at the end that ask readers to do some self-reflection. So back um, to your question, Candace, of, you know, what do you say to people who might be hesitant, worried they're going to be made to feel bad? Um, trust Trust, trust putting yourself in Kimberly's good hands. She is very tender and honest. Those two things can go together. And she is a guide. She's a coach. She's a professional coach. This whole book coaches us not only to be better white sisters to black sisters, but to be better human beings. You got to tell us, what are the readers saying to you? Oh, wow. Kind of, um... I'm, I feel like I'm welling up here, getting emotional um, because I've had so many conversations uh, or so many people reaching out either through text message or uh, DMs or private message uh, where one thing is gratitude. So many people have said, thank you so much for the approach to this book. Thank you so much for pricking my heart and engaging my heart in a way that my heart has never been invited into the conversation. Thank you for getting me to question, I mean, I'll, I'll share with you something that a, a friend from a few years ago just texted me a couple of days ago and said, the only person, this is a white woman, the only person that has ever called me out is my husband, who's a man of color. She said, none of my friends have ever called me out. And this chapter that I'm reading makes me ask myself, 
if those people are actually friends, if they did, or they, if they actually see me as a friend, if they have never called me on my behavior or things I've said. And so the overwhelming sense is gratitude and connection and a desire, like this, this overwhelming desire, like, okay, when can I practice? Like, let's do this. Like people are jumping in with both feet and it's just overwhelmingly, um, it keeps me up at night in a good way. <laughs> Our thanks to Kimberly Williams, author of Dear White Woman, Please Come Home, and her friend, a word that she uses with intention, Debbie Irving, who authored the book Waking Up White. Both of those books available wherever you shop. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I'd hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condus Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condus? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives.